Not many folks raised in the Episcopal tradition or the Roman Catholic tradition, as I was, remember their baptism. Where it was, what it felt like, who was there. I am one of those exceptions to the rule. As you may know, I was raised as a Roman Catholic, but I was not baptized until the age of eight. See, my dad is Roman Catholic and my mom is Baptist. And their compromise was that my sister and I would be raised Catholic, but would not be baptized until eight when we could choose. Now, I remember that my baptism was on a Saturday. In the Catholic tradition, they do not baptize during the principal service on Sunday. So my mom, my dad, my sister, grandparents, and my godparents were in attendance. There were no other parishioners or church members in attendance. Quite different from today for little Harry, who was just baptized at the 9 a.m. service. In the gospel today, Jesus' family and Jesus have strong feelings about what family means and who is and is not family. Now Jesus is back home, and the gospel does not say exactly where Jesus is, but proclaims that he is somewhere near his home. Jesus has been off being baptized by John and starting his ministry, healing, casting out demons, and appointing the twelve apostles. We know from the passage that he has amassed somewhat of a following because the gospel says, again, a crowd has come together, so much so they couldn't even eat. These are perhaps the people who are there for his ministry, who want to be close to him, or are drawn to him. There also is the opposition that is amassing as well, the scribes. They accuse him of being a demon leader that casts demons out and to himself. There's also his family that is on their way to restrain him because people were saying that he was out of his mind. The family's opposition, I think, is mild. I feel they were looking out either for Jesus' well-being or perhaps family honor. In Jesus' time, family honor was an essential part of the status quo. People were talking wrong about him and in turn, talking bad about his family. That makes me think about something that Jerry used to tell me her grandma used to say to her as she left the house. And it was something like, be kind and don't embarrass your family. Jesus' family perhaps thought that he was embarrassing himself or, or his family, not bringing them honor. But by saying this, they were, they were coming and they were because of that, others said something. They may have been well-intentioned, but Jesus' close family does not understand. They don't know who Jesus is yet and don't know God's will. On the other spectrum, the scribes, the teachers of the law, were in significant opposition to Jesus. They see and hear of the healing that Jesus is doing, and they don't understand, they don't recognize God's will. All they see is opposition, so they try to discredit him by saying that he's doing the work of demons, of Satan, of the adversary, the force in the world against the will of God. Jesus is trying to heal the world, in fact, in fact, the sick, the hungry, He's trying to reconcile the world, a world that is divided. Jesus is not opposed to the scribes, and he tries to teach that to them through parables. 
I think that's one of the most amazing things right there in that passage. The part that Jesus called them to him and spoke to them in parables. Jesus was just insulted by the scribes and they tried to discredit him. Instead of firing back insults back to them or trying to discredit them, Jesus invites them to sit. Sit with him and to learn more, to think more about who he is and God's will. Jesus says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Jesus is trying to have the scribes understand that God does not want division. God does not want fighting. God wants unity and peace. And that he has come to begin that reconciliation. Now the last part of that parable, Jesus teaches the scribes and us, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Jesus is explaining that he has come to tie up Satan, to take away our sins so that we may have eternal life. Now we know that he has done this for us through his life, death, and resurrection. We know it also because at the end of that parable he says, Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. In our baptism, we ask for forgiveness, proclaim God's will and that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And then through the holy water of baptism, we die and are raised again into the life and body of Christ. Because Jesus has tied up the strong man, we have everlasting life. Our sins are washed away and we participate in God's kingdom here, now, and forever. But we must continue our baptism by always seeking forgiveness from God, from each other, always seeking to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and continuing in the apostles' teaching. If we choose not to, then we are, as Jesus says, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. We are not doing God's will. We are not following Christ in our baptismal vows. And we are closing ourselves off to the Holy Spirit. But with God's help and that of our friends and family, we will learn and continue to love God, love our neighbor, and follow Christ. With God's help and that of our family and friends. Now that's the part I did not understand in my baptism. And did not really understand until I came to the Episcopal Church. As I said at the start of the sermon, the people present at my baptism were just, were just blood relatives and godparents. No one else. But shortly after Jerry and I were received into the Episcopal Church, there was a baptism at our parish that we were a part of. And I was surprised that it was on a Sunday during the principal service. I asked my now really good friend why the baptism was during the service and not some other time. His answer was simple. That is part of our tradition. Baptism is the sacrament that God adopts us as one of his own. And we become members of Christ's body, the church. So if we all are adopting this child as God's own into the body of Christ, then some, if not all, should be present to witness that adoption. 
I think this is what Jesus was getting at when his mother and brothers arrived. And he said, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. I don't think he was dismissing his blood family. I think he was adding family. He was doing something radical and expanding the notion of family to extend to those that are one in him, that believe in him. In the Christian tradition, we proclaim our belief in Christ through baptism, in our baptismal vows that we say through our godparents and that congregation gathered. We renew that belief and vows every time we say them, and then in our confirmation. Therefore, we are one in Christ, and we are all mothers, brothers, sisters, fathers, and grandparents in Christ. Since we are all one in Christ and an intergenerational community that proclaims Christ as Lord and Savior, we also are responsible for the spiritual raising and parenting of all gathered in his name. We baptize in the community because the baptized are now a member of this community. Jerry and my goddaughters, Cassidy and Lucy, live in Reno, and their mom and dad and Jerry and I are really good friends. They are the first family that welcomed us to our old parish when we were first arrived as not yet Episcopalians. Now, I call Cassidy and Lucy my goddaughters, but technically they are not. They are just really good friends and family. Cassidy and Lucy were baptized well before Jerry and I ever knew them. But that's the thing about becoming a member of Christ's body, the church. We are all one in Christ. As witnesses to the vows, we all agree to do all in our power to support this person in their life in Christ. We all need to support the child and their family and the godparents. We all are godparents. We may not be the primary godparents. That's the job of the person that appointed by their parents. We are essentially assistant godparents. And like the parents and the godparents, we too are to make sure that the child is raised up in the church to know Christ and follow Christ. Parents and godparents and grandparents cannot do it all on their own. At times, our friends needed help with Lucy and Cassidy, just as Jerry and I needed help at times with our kids. We both stepped in to help when we could, and we let the godchildren know that they were loved and marked as Christ's own. As we come to the font today, which is not here anymore, the spiritual font, remember that we are gathered together, not separated or divided. We are not on a different day from that of the Lord's day. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have come together as one body to witness this child that was adopted into the fold of God and became a full member of the body of Christ, the church. As a member of that body of Christ, we are also asked to help raise others, to help support that family of the newly baptized member in the teaching of the apostles, the resisting of evil, the proclaiming of the good news, loving our neighbor, and striving for justice and peace for all. We have come together today, no matter what service we, we attend. We come together to say, I am here to support and help those raising this child as a Christian. Amen.